Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to gather together like this as your children in humility, submitting before your wonderful word and your spirit. We thank you that we're even able to do this thing in freedom, in comfort even, to get away from the world and to you know, bow at your throne and just listen for what the Spirit is saying to our church. Father, we also pray for all those in our congregation that are sick and struggling. You know their every struggle, and you know what you need them to go through for different reasons for your glory. We ask that you help each of us see your purposes for everything in our lives and help us have faith more and more that you're always in control. And Father, most of all, we're grateful and thankful for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to take away our debt once for all so that we don't have to worry about trying to pay you back in our own weak efforts. We thank you so much for paying the full price through him so that by trusting in him, we have eternal life as a gift. Father, please bless this message and guide us and teach us by your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. The Deceitfulness of Sin, Part 16. So on Sunday, uh, the Spirit had us jump right in, if you remember, to a certain concept about sin that Pastor began with. And what I've been thinking about is as we willingly sit here and, and we all come here and sit here before the Lord and in humility to hear the word, we're willingly or willing to explore the nature of sin. And it's that willingness that God's going to use in us to show us a lot of things. Uh, he knows if we really want the truth, for example, right? Each and every one of us. And I can only assume the best for those that especially attend. But he knows our hearts. He knows if we really want to know the truth. And when he sees that willingness in us, he's going to reveal more about the nature of sin. So we're less and less deceived. So as much as it hurts at times, and as much as it reveals ugliness within us, we are promised if we seek, we will find. And we know God is faithful. We know He's a good Father. And He gives to those who ask Him. So really all the burden is on God to reveal these things to us. It's not upon us figuring it out, being smart enough to figure it out. It's on the Lord if we're willing to bow our knee to Him in this way, listening to the Word in humility. So we must look to God if we want to know our enemies and how we've been deceived by sin. The Spirit had us think about sin on Sunday, not just in the negative sense and not just that it has a negative direction. We kind of know that. Everyone might know that, you might say. An unbeliever knows that. But also sin has a positive direction. 
not in a good sense, but a positive direction in the sense that it's going towards something. It's not only pulling us away from God, but it's going towards something, namely depravity. So sin is not only against Christ, but it's for something. It's pushing us towards something. It has an objective, in other words, a place that it's tempting us to go. So this is a summary statement from Sunday, the beginning of the message. Not only is sin negative against holiness, it is positive for depravity. It is positive for depravity. So sin doesn't sit still. It's always pushing us away from Christ and pulling us towards depravity, towards where we came from. And I want you to think about that. That's going to come up a couple times tonight. That sin is pushing us towards depravity, towards where we came from. Just think about that. That's sin's desire and sin's habit. I thought of uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, where it talks about unbelievers who heard about Christ but never truly received Him. And even though they were offered the way out of sin and death, they refused it. And where did they go? Where did sin convince them to stay or to go back to? Well, on the board, we, we see that clear conclusion in 2 Peter 2.22. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Knowing this principle on the board is very valuable for us even as believers, because sin strives to get us to look back, to take us back to the mire of depravity. It even tempts us with that. Wasn't life easier back then? Yeah, you suffered a little bit, but you did what you wanted to do. Wasn't life simpler back then? You didn't have to worry about all these commands. And that's how sin whispers to us and tempts us back to that place where we, you know, could run abandoned in a sense. The end of that way is death. We clearly know that in many different forms even. But that's what sin's trying to get us to do, to ignore the death part and say, go back to where you can just whatever, wallow in the mire. You don't have to worry about looking clean or being clean. But the end is just horrible. It doesn't tell you that part, though. So sin is trying to get us to go back to where we came from. Even when we think we're doing good, quote-unquote, maybe in the spiritual life, in your walk with God, even when you think you're doing good, sin is working from within, trying to dig its heels in, planning an exit strategy. And when I say that, I don't mean sin's going to leave us, right? I mean sin is planning us to get out of the plan of God for our life, out of the will of God for our lives. That type of an exit strategy. He's always planning something. And the problem is when we're doing good, that can be the worst time of deception. Because what happens when you're, quote unquote, doing good in the plan of God and you're staying out of trouble or you're obeying or you're following or you even have peace with God? 
is a tendency to get prideful, even just a little bit, and take a little credit that self is making you do this. And we know pride comes before a fall. What better way for sin to sneak up on us than to get us in some form of pride when we're quote-unquote doing good? So sin is trying to get us to look at the mire again and go in that direction. That's what we might say is the positive direction sin wants to lead us towards. And this is why the Spirit's been hammering us to examine ourselves. Examine ourselves. Examine our motivations, even. We must humble ourselves before the Lord and ask Him to shine His wonderful light on every single area of our lives. And we don't want to do that, let's face it, right? We don't really want to do that. But if we want to know the truth, that's the place of humility we have to bow to Him in and say, God, just shine a light on on all of it. I want to see it. Let's get this over with. And I know you're going to set me free from it. If I'm willing to have these things be seen, to see these things. And that is more than half the battle. That's what the Spirit's trying to tell us. That's more than half the battle. He's like, open up. Be willing to examine every area of your life. I'll show you. I'll show you. And then even though it's going to hurt at first, it's going to be good. It's going to be healing. With sin, there's always stuff going on behind the scenes, however. And that's why we need the light of the Word of God, each and every day, a little bit every day, even if you can't be here, you must have the attitude that you need the Word every day. Even if you're not in the mood, you need the Word every day. Somehow, some way, reading your Bibles or the blogs or the messages or whatever, you need to submit to the Word every day if you're going to be rescued from the deceitfulness of sin. And I know we've heard that. I know most of you know that. But do you do it? Is, have you personalized that to where you need the word or you know you're going to be deceived? Were you willing to admit that? So on the board, regarding the deceitfulness of sin, this came out on Sunday. One of the greatest errors any man or woman can ever make is to presume that sin only exists in their acknowledgement of it or in what you see. And the analogy has been, does undetected, undiagnosed cancer mean that the insidiousness of the disease isn't real in someone who has it? Of course not, right? Of course not. And so are we turning a blind eye to the other ways sin operates within us? Are we only looking at the obvious and the overt? In other words, people, even believers, make the mistake of only addressing sin when the fruit of it bears its ugly head. That's a huge mistake. If we do that, we're not thinking properly about sin, and we will be deceived. (coughs) Satan would love that. Another way to think about sin is on the board that sin is devious. It is devious. It is evil in its intentions and in its planning. It has evil intents and activities going on behind the scenes while smiling at us on the surface. 
That's the picture we must always maintain or we will get a little bit prideful and think we have it under control when the true monster is behind the curtain. Unless we open our eyes and realize that, we will habitually be caught off guard by sin and its tactics. We'll be taken surprise in certain areas of our lives we think that we think, you know, we have control over. And, you know, sometimes you want to focus on one area, right? You're praying about one area, focus on one area, you know that's a weakness. So you start ignoring the other areas. Now, the Spirit can help us with all that and cover our backs on that if we're humble. But we certainly shouldn't get arrogant about those other areas that we think we have under control. Because we don't. Sin's vicious. It's devious. So never get a little too high on your horse. The Spirit's been telling us to pay attention. To not take our enemy lightly. Sin, as we know by now, is devious and deceptive, and it wants you to take it lightly. Even in those areas, maybe especially in those areas that you think you have it under control. That is our tendency, isn't it? To get a little bit overconfident and uh, satisfied when things are going well. So remember, sin actually wants to go back where it came from. It's pushing us towards the depraved nature we were born with. And on the board, this came out on Sunday as well. Ignoring sin or choosing to stay in the dark about sin and its strategies gives it power over us. That's exactly what Satan would like you to do. Ignore sin, think you have it under control in a certain area, and then it's no big deal. As we saw from a quote from B.W. Newton, Before we were even born, sin was present within us. Before any sinful actions or thoughts came forth from us, even as a baby, sin was present within us. So from our point of view, sin was always there. Like there was never a time we were free from it. So in other words, it's so embedded in us, in who we are, in our flesh. It's so embedded that um, we have to uh, fully recognize that. This, ha- this has nothing to do with our sinful actions and a step that we took towards sin. This has to do with the embeddedness of sin within us from the very beginning of our existence, well before we made any uh, sinful decision on our own. So we might say sin has roots in our flesh, And that's why the Bible says man is rotten to the core without God. Wretched even. I mean, that's harsh language, right? That's strong language. Wretched. But that's why. It's because of the very depravity of the nature we were born with. Not even because of what we've done or, or even as a child, right? I mean, how many things can you point at a baby and say, you did this and you did that. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the nature embedded in us that came out. So also from Sunday, we must understand the depravity that remains in us as a result of being diseased by sin. Hopefully you have that picture uh, of being infected, in other words, by sin. 
It's in our bloodstream. I mean, if you had any disease, if you went to the hospital and they said, you have a disease and it's in your blood, that's a big problem, right? <laughs> that's like infecting you all throughout. That's sin. That's sin. That's our situation in this body. So we would be smart to realize, as Pastor brought up in our leadership meeting on Sunday, um, sometimes we get talking about the messages, and he was saying how sin is only 10% on the surface, but 90% behind the curtain. In our own lives, you've got you to personalize this to you. Do you honestly believe that 90% of your sin problem is behind the curtain and that you don't see it? Because if you don't believe that, you're subject to its deception. That's how we have to think. It's insidious. It's devious. It's wicked. So that's why Paul said what he said on the board in Romans 7, 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body, the body of this death? Wretched man I am. That might sound like extreme to some. And I remember as a young believer seeing this verse and saying, boy, that's kind of harsh. Is it really that bad, Paul? But I was young in the faith, and I didn't understand the depths of sin, as Paul obviously did. I mean, there's a tendency for our flesh to say, come on, Paul, you're doing a great job. You're the apostle. You've gone on all these missionary journeys. Look at all you've done for God. And Paul says, wretched man that I am. Sin has its talons in my body, and I can't get rid of it. And that's just wisdom speaking of a believer that knows there's nothing good about him, truly. So once Paul understood the depths of sin, that's what he said on the board. Paul recognized that there is an evil nature we believers still need to cope with and that it's a battle so long as we're in this body as in Galatians 5. Again, the Spirit's telling us to not underestimate the power and deceptiveness of sin nor the depths of its roots in us. And we've got to drop uh, what we might call the no big deal attitude towards sin or the idea that we have sin under control ever. We should never get overconfident towards sin or the sin nature. It's always digging in behind the scenes. Just always think of that, you know. And that doesn't mean we should be fearful or lose hope. It means we should turn to God even more and rely on Him for the power to deliver us from its wiles. So let's just see a little bit more about this battle going on, the reality of it. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5.16. The Spirit's telling us to not underestimate the power and deceptiveness of sin, nor the depth of its roots in us. Paul didn't. And he was pretty mature at the time he wrote Romans. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. 
for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. Notice that phrase. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit. Picture that, like physically speaking, visually. The flesh sets its desires, like stands opposed, actively, you know, turns its back on, however you want to look at it. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. It's like a a vicious battle within. That flesh that sets its desire against the spirit, that's in you and me. That that wicked attitude, that anti-God attitude, it's in all of us. And turn to Romans 7.14. Romans 7.14. To see, again, the the, uh, viciousness of this battle that Paul was going through. And this is all in mind, uh, with the idea in mind that we, we are not to underestimate the true uh, viciousness of this battle going on. Romans seven fourteen. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. This is Paul, the believer. In verse 21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. This is horrible. I mean, you know, we don't always think about it. Some days are like this for us, right? Some days, if you're honest, are like this. It's this ugly war going on between your flesh and the spirit. Some days it's maybe a little more mild or it's the sin nature disguising that it's really a war. But either way, Paul says in verse 23, I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. As came out on Sunday, we see here the imagery of being held hostage by the old man. 
in chains to this body of death. It's a horrible situation, right? We know Christ now as believers. We have freedom through Him. We have a new nature through Him. And yet this old nature literally has chains trying to hold us back. Talk about direction, right? Talk about a pulling against the good things you want to do. These chains are heavy sometimes. So the Bible, what the Bible calls the flesh, still has influence over us in this life, in this body, till the day we die. So let's not be naive about that as the sin nature would like us to be. This idea also came to us on Sunday on the board. Sin is like invisible magnetic forces in that it exerts force on otherwise stationary objects. Even though we are rooted and grounded in the rock, Jesus Christ, sin tries to pull us away from him. There's this constant pull. It's, it's as if you had like a rope on your foot or a rope around your waist. And it wasn't like a yank that someone did to you. It's, it's just this constant tension, this constant small pull. That's how sin works, right? To try to get you to take one step, not three. Constant small tug away from God. You don't really need to be that close, says sin. You don't really need to be that dedicated, that humble, that submissive to God. Live your own life, tug, tug. You're doing pretty good. What's wrong with this? That's not so bad, right? Remember that? That's sin's tug. That's sin's constant pull. It's not even physical. It's not even a grabbing. It's like a magnetic force. Being trapped in this body of death for now, we are subject to sin's pressure or pull, whatever you want to, however you want to look at it, whatever makes you feel it more, or however, however you feel it in your life. As a pressure, as a pull, you can feel sin putting pressure on you to cave in at times or trying to pull you away from what's good or trying to elevate self in God's plan for you. All different angles he comes at us with. And maybe when we feel that pull, that pressure, when we, when we know like sin's tugging at us, maybe that's when we need to flee the situation. Or maybe that's when we need to drop on our knees on the spot to avoid its pull. But we know when it's, when it's doing that, don't we? So again, on the board, sin is like invisible magnetic forces in that it exerts force on otherwise stationary objects. Even though we're rooted and grounded in the rock, Jesus Christ, sin tries to pull us away from him, sometimes ever so gently. So this also came out on Sunday. Isn't sin better described as an influencer than just a movement. Something to think about. In this way, it's devious. Isn't sin better described as an influencer than just a movement? We can't just look at the overt results or actions of sin 
but we must see it as covertly dangerous in its activities. Covertly dangerous. It is a, a spy in our lives. Whom we don't think is a spy, right? <laughs> the good, you know, what makes a good spy is that they blend right in and they even become friends with those they're spying on. So it's covertly dangerous in its activities. It's trying to pull us away, even if we don't actually see a change in our lives that we can point to. You can just sense it sometimes, can't you? What, what, what sin is tempting you to do or go or tempting you away from God? You can't even point to it. You can't even explain it sometimes. So have your spiritual senses on full alert. You know, kind of like Spidey senses, right? Spider-Man has those senses, right? See, that's what, that's what we have through the Holy Spirit. We have spiritual senses if we're listening, if we're, we're praying for help. We have that sense from God. We have His power within us. So recognize it. One way the Spirit's got us thinking is, uh, came out on Sunday, is a very important point. What is the direction of the affections of our two natures? What is the direction of our affections? We might ask ourselves also, which one are we submitting to? We're always submitting to one or the other. Which affections are you submitting to? We know that the new creature within us loves Jesus Christ. God has opened our eyes. If you're, if you're grateful for Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, that if you're grateful that He went to the cross for you and died for your sins, that's the new nature in you being grateful. That's the direction of the new nature's affections. But our old man hates God. It whispers to us to forget about Christ and pulls us in a direction away from him. And that should be no surprise because that's normal for the flesh. That's natural for the flesh. So this battle within should be no surprise to any of us. Again, the whole idea is don't be deceived. So on the board, let's look at this translation again, just to, again, in, uh, solidify in your soul that this is natural. This is how the flesh operates and is going to operate and is going to nag you and deceive you until the day you die. So be on the alert. Ephesians 2.2 in the Amplified Classic in which at one time you walked habitually, you were following the course and fashion of this world, were under the sway of the tendency of the, this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. You were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. Among these, we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh, our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensual nature, obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind, our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imaginings. We were then, by nature, children of God's wrath and heirs of His indignation 
like the rest of mankind. This is quote-unquote normal for the flesh. And it's still in you, as we saw in Galatians 5. That's why we saw the struggle in Romans 7 that we did, that Paul had. This quote-unquote nature is still hanging around us and in us. It's really hard to even describe or pinpoint, but it's there and it's active and it's devious. A key point from Sunday was this also on the board. The old self hates Christ and therefore its direction is always away from him. So if we have that kind of influence in us, we need to understand how it operates. And we do have that kind of horrible influence in us that's pulling us to doubt God, to doubt God's ways, to doubt your purpose even in this world, in this life. If we have that kind of influence in us, we need to understand how it operates so it doesn't get the best of us. We've made that decision with the help of the Spirit to discover this, to, to embark on this journey, to understand how this thing operates. And something, something else we need to think about is what can we as believers do as those who love Christ? What can we do uh, proactively to set up tactics in our own lives to protect our hearts from deception? Just something else to think about. You know, just like watch, watching where we walk. What can we do proactively to set up tactics in our lives, maybe even good habits? Number one, we've got to take in the Word. We know that. That should always be our top priority because that's the only thing that shines light for us to see. Number two might be to be on the alert for Satan's lies. To always be on the alert, always have our antenna up. Ask God for those spiritual senses, for the Spirit's guidance, and pointing out to us things that are off. But just something to think about. What can you do proactively in God's plan to protect your heart? On the board, sin wants us to think we're doing okay on the outside and not examine the inside where we might be, quote-unquote, laying up deceit. Even deceiving ourselves at times into thinking our motivation is good when it's evil. Or ignoring our motivation altogether. What I just did was good, and I'm not going to think about why I did it. That's what sin would love you to do too. That's when we get into doing evil, even though it's overtly good can be doing evil. Turn again in your Bibles to Proverbs 26.22. Proverbs 26.22. This is certainly heavy stuff, but it's very good stuff, and it's stuff to not be disheartened by because the Spirit is a lot more powerful than the sin nature. It just depends on our submission to Him. Again, on the board, sin wants us to think we're doing okay on the outside and not examine the inside 
where we might be laying up deceit, even deceiving ourselves at times into thinking our motivation is good when it's evil. Proverbs 26, 22. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. Like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross are burning lips and a wicked heart. He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. Notice, with one's lips, he covers up any evil appearance. But in the heart is where the sinner is deceiving and deceived. This is the life of a person controlled by sin, in verse 24. The life of a person controlled by sin. This is what it looks like. And he may not even realize he's trapped in it. He may not even realize he's doing that thing right there in verse 24. That's the whole point. Why? Because sin is a master at disguising itself. A master at putting a mask on. It's a master at using deceit to function under the radar. Let me give you an example that comes to mind here. And I've, I've experienced this with certain people in my lives, even in the missionary work uh, overseas in Africa in particular. Have you ever met someone who's a compulsive liar? You may not have. I mean, that's a serious statement to be a compulsive liar, right? That's like a major, major habit. Have you ever met someone that you catch in a lie and they will continue to deny it vehemently that they lied? You've just caught them. You have evidence. And they still deny that they lied and they did anything wrong. So what's going on in that person's heart? Really, ask yourself, what's going on there? How are they actually convinced that they're not guilty? They're so convinced by their own lifestyle of lies that they don't even believe they're lying. That's, I, I truly believe that. They don't believe it. Like I've seen, I've seen that. You may have seen that with certain people. I've seen that with certain people. What, what is that? What is the level of that deception? That's how deceived they are. That's the handiwork of sin in their lives. That's somebody controlled by sin. Even able to talk themselves into anything as being true. And it can happen to any of us if we drop our guard. Not necessarily the compulsive liar thing, but you know what I'm trying to say? This can happen to any one of us. We can be under that type of deception if we drop our guard. Pride comes before a fall. We must never think that we're beyond this. Sin is continually pushing us back in the direction where we came from, which is total depravity. Go back to the pit and wallow in the mire. Roll in the mud. Just forget about it all. This is the reality while we're still in these bodies, while we're trapped in the flesh. This is the pull from the sin nature to go back to the mire. It's not as bad as they say it is. 
In fact, you even remember the good parts about it. Jeremiah discloses our condition without Christ, without God changing our heart. Look at the verse on the board. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's our heart without Christ changing it. It is desperately sick. Deceitful. What's it say? More deceitful than all else. Like that compulsive liar. More deceitful than all else. That helps us see what's going on in our flesh, even as believers, what we're dealing with. It can even convince a liar that he's not lying. And it helps explain our main passage, again, in Proverbs 26, 24. Look at Proverbs 26, 24. We'll continue reading the rest of this passage. He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred covers itself with guile, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. He who digs a pit will fall into it. He who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. The Spirit summed it up like this on Sunday on the board. Deceitfulness is the name of the game that's in place. Proverbs 26, 22 through 28, and we've read 2 Corinthians eleven, fourteen, where Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Deceitfulness is the name of the game that's in place, and it's very good at it, extremely good at it. It would be foolish for any of us to think sin is not deceiving us right now in some areas of our lives. We would be arrogant, prideful to think that. To think that right now sin's not deceiving you in some area of your life would be foolishness. Don't buy that lie. And remember, a big emphasis came out on Sunday about our direction and our affections on the board regarding understanding sin. Isn't sin better described as an influencer than just a movement? One easy way to understand this is to understand the direction of sin's affections. While the new creature is 100% attracted to Christ, the old self is 100% repelled from Christ. That's the fact of the matter. The old self is 100% repelled from Christ. You might say, I'm not doing that. I don't feel that in myself right now. I love Christ. I'm following Christ. And you know what? God bless you. Maybe you do. Maybe that is your habit right now in your life, and that's wonderful. But your old self is chomping at the bit to get away from Christ. But it's not so much just getting away from Christ. It's getting closer to self. Why, why does the old self, the old nature, not want Christ? Because it wants self. It wants self more. It wants to feed self more. So, for example, sin loves self. It's very selfish. The sin nature loves self. So since 
That's where sin's affections lie with self. That's where the direction's going to be. Toward self. It's away from Christ, but it's toward self. Satisfy your selfish desires. The new nature loves Christ. As I said before, we're so grateful to Him for saving us. That's how, that's how we know we have a new nature. That we actually have a grateful heart for Him saving us. Now the question is, which affections do we allow to dominate us? Which affections do we obey? Whichever ones we obey, that's the direction we're going to go in. The greatest power and affection of all is love, God's love. Trusting in God's love for us is what can save us from ourselves. It's what can save us from chasing selfish desires, trusting in God's love. And that's why it's so important to do what John said in 1 John 4, 16. If you, if you remember, he said, we believe the love God has for us. That is so important to not being trapped by the sin nature and falling for its schemes. Because when we believe the love God has for us, now our affections are in the right place and our direction goes accordingly. It's when we start to forget the love God has for us that we get in trouble. God's love should be our motivator and therefore set our direction. Where we place our affections determines the direction of our lives overall. And we've been challenged. Where have we placed our affections? Are they towards Christ or are they towards self? That's the ultimate question. Are they towards Christ or towards self? But the power is found in God's love. That's how we can escape it all. Escape all the deception and conniving and devious strategies. The power is found in trusting in God's love. So apparently the Spirit thinks this is worth repeating on the board from A.W. Pink. Just sit back for a minute and let this sink in. Just see what the Spirit is saying. Love is that which animates the obedience which is agreeable to God. If a man love me, he will keep my words. John 14, 23. Love is the very life and substance of everything which is gratifying to God. In other words, obedience that's not motivated by the love for God is worthless. But if obedience is motivated by love for God, that's everything to God. He goes on to say, as the principle of obedience, love takes the precedence for faith works by love. Galatians 5, 6. Note the order in the injunction, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Hebrews 10, 24. Stir up the affections and good works will follow. As a stirring up of the coals causes the flames to rise. It is love which makes all the divine commandments not grievous. 1 John 5, 3. We heartily agree with Charnock in that one word love 
God has wrapped up all the devotion He requires of us. Where are our affections? Remember at this point, I brought this up before, but it fits right in here again. One of the Greek words for devotion means persevering affections. Where are your where do your affections persevere? In what direction? For whom? Safe to say that that is what God is after, undistracted devotion to the Lord. Persevering affections for the Lord. An interesting sidebar came out from Pink's initial statement on the board. Love is that which animates the obedience which is agreeable to God. Love motivates obedience. Love needs to motivate obedience for it to really be obedience. So now we started on Sunday to get into sovereignty. The sovereignty of God and how this relates and why a person follows the king. Sovereignty, the king, right? Why, why does a person follow the king? The greatest obedience, the most satisfying and proper obedience is out of love for one's master. That's what God loves and accepts. In this fallen world, that is rare, to say the least. Where we have an authority in our lives, over us, with wonderful integrity and even love. That is really rare. When it does happen, we want to follow that person, right? Because we love them. Like, I want to serve you. I want to honor you. I want to help you as your servant under your authority because we love them. There's no greater motivator ever. It just it cleans everything out. It makes everything pure. The good news is this is God's system. This life even as a new creature, is God's system. It's how he designed life. When his creatures realize how much he loves them, they want to follow him. And that's beautiful. That's awesome. That's how it's supposed to be. That's, that's what makes it a joy. So just listen carefully as we start to close. True love and affection motivates obedience and makes it easy and joyful to function in. Does it not? Whoever you can think of, whether it's God or someone in your life that you actually love that is over you in, a th- in some position of authority, true love and affection for that person motivates obedience and makes it easy and joyful to function under that obedience, under that authority. You actually want to do it. You want to please the one over you because you know they love you. And then it's all a joy. So we have to examine where our affections are, right? It's hard. It's painful sometimes to see where your affections lie, where your motivations are at or have been. But let's begin to close with an example in the Bible of a man obeying his God-given authority out of love and how love motivated him to obey and succeed in his mission for his master. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 24, verse 1. 
Genesis 24, 1. I'm not going to get as far as I want, but that's okay. This, this passage is just a good example of this principle, that love motivates obedience. Genesis 24.1, and this is talking about um, Abraham's servant who was charged with a mission. And out of his love for his master Abraham, he went on a journey in total obedience, eager to please him. So let's uh, learn from the example, Genesis 24.1. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives, and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land where you, from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master, and set out with a variety of good things of his masters in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, Please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers drink, and I will also water your camels, may she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master." You can go home and read the rest of the story if you want. It's quite wonderful. But notice the servant's concern that Abraham is taken care of by the Lord, pleased. And he wants to please his master so badly. His love for Abraham compelled him to do exactly as his master had said. As the love of God compels us, it's our great dominating motivation and it makes all things pure it makes our obedience pure and wonderful and acceptable to God if our affections are in the right place so our final verse go to 2nd Corinthians 5 14 2nd Corinthians 5 14 
for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. What's the only thing that could make us not want to live for ourselves anymore? Believing in that love that he had for us, right? What he did for us, it's the only thing that can get us away from self. But it's so much greater than self. And that's why it says in, in the beginning of it, verse 14, the love of Christ controls us. On the board in the NIV, it says Christ's love compels us. We are in line with God when love is our motivation for whatever we do. It's really that simple. We're in line with God when our love, when love for Him or His love for us is our motivation for whatever we do. We're out of line even when we're being obedient if love is not our motivation. We might as well not waste our time because it's worthless in God's eyes, right? Without love, 1 Corinthians 13, go home and read it. Without love, all the greatest things you could ever do for God mean nothing then. So let's take the Spirit's challenge and examine our affections without condemnation, asking the Spirit to shed light on the subject. And you know what? As we've been learning, when He shed, sheds light on it, whether we're living for, for God or living for self, whatever our affections, wherever we've been wrong, it's light. It's truth. At least now we know the truth. And we can be set free and we can ask God for help. And you know what? He's going to give it to the humble as we've been learning. Amen? All right, let's bow heads. Father, we thank you so much for your word, your grace toward us, your mercy, your patience, your gentleness. We thank you for shedding the light on the truth of our sin and our sin nature. And we need your help, Father, to both be honest with ourselves and with you and also to see the schemes of the devil active within sin. We thank you in advance for answering our prayers. We ask that you be with us as we go and help us bring the truth out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.